Hey, we're just about to jump into the episode, but before we do, did you know we have a junior-friendly Discord community? It's completely free to join. If you want to join us, the link is in the description. We'd love to have you. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome back for another podcast episode where we try to bring in different professionals and different aspiring developers to basically give you as much advice as we can to help you get a position as a developer. So today I have with me Hamad. Hamad, welcome. Uh, Hamad has been in the tech industry and has been even recruiting for a very long time. Uh, but I, I'd love to give the floor to you to kind of give a little introduction to our audience. Well, thank you so much, Don. Hello, everyone. My name is Hamad Mapara. Um, as Don said, I have been in the technology recruitment industry since the past now, what, 15 years now. So I really started in that mainframe DB2 era and kind of progressed from there. Um, as, as we say on our side of the business, you know, I have been in the business of recruiting, sourcing and recruiting um, yellow and magenta squirrels. Purple squirrels are, uh, are gone. You know? uh, it's more of a yellow and magenta squirrels now. Um, over the course of years, I have um, worn multiple hats. You know, I, I myself as a technical guy, I understand the technology uh, both on .NET, Java platforms. Um, you know, I, I work as a program manager and project manager uh, manager as well. Um, I've been a partner in a company uh, based in Pakistan, and most of the technology project we takes are, or most of our clients are either in Pakistan and in the in the Middle East, like the UAE or GCC countries. Here in the U.S., I spend still a lot of time in recruitment, in technical recruitment, and one of the things I do absolutely free of cost is is mentoring the emerging professionals, whether they are application developers, application architects, or anything within the IT arena. You know, I mentor them, I coach them in terms of what to do, what not to do, who to approach, where to approach, uh, even I uh, kind of like help people who are in that soul searching mode, if you will. You know, folks who started off as BAs and QAs and really looking for some level of direction. Um, so I've done that. I've been doing that as well uh, since many years now, um, especially when sitting on the other side of the fence here as a recruiter, I can give them a lot of insights in terms of, um, you know, how to prepare for interview to how to make your resume visible, how to outline your accomplishments, whatnot, within the resume and how to become the recruiter's favorite. Interesting. The recruiter's favorite. I never heard that before. I guess a recruiter does have to have a favorite. Uh, but I, I think that was one of the. <laughs> I think that was one of the more um, intriguing things about you is the mentorship that you have done on the side. I think I think that speaks a lot to someone's character, and I, I think it, it really does say a lot when you do meet someone else that that does provide their free time to to give back. I think that's a really positive thing. So that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to to bring you on and talk with you. Uh, so, you know, one of the, I'd like to talk about a couple main topics. Uh, one, mm -hmm. and I, I'm just gonna be very uh, blunt with it, uh, I think developers have gained a lot of frustration with agency recruiters, and they are a real part of the job process, mm -hmm. and they are always an option. And so what I wanna do is kinda dive into those frustrations and see if mm -hmm. 
the solution you know, really is to how can you be the best candidate for recruiters, for those recruiters to be effective mm-hmm. for your job process, or you know, how do you even find the right recruiter? Is that, is that the solution, right? Yeah. So I want to dive a little bit into that, and then we can kind of follow up with you know, really some insights into the tech industry. You, you know, it sounds like you've had a tremendous amount of experience, and I, I think a lot of people would really appreciate mm-hmm. You know, just off-the-cuff advice that you have for them. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's dive right into this. So, the spam, uh, the spam. So, let's talk about the spam on LinkedIn specifically. So, mm-hmm. I think as a developer, and I, you start noticing this as the years go on, is you're going to get more mm-hmm. messages from recruiters. You are going to mm-hmm. uh, some of them are going to be quality messages. Some of them are going to clearly show that they've read your profile, they've they've done a little bit of research on you. And while the majority end up looking kind of like a blast uh, where they've just mass mm-hmm. messaged uh, a lot of people. And mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you'll get Java positions when Java isn't even listed in your LinkedIn profile. You'll get, mm-hmm. um, you, you might even get uh, like just different positions that aren't quite developer positions when you're experiencing strictly speaks to developer you can you can have a blog post you can have a video talking about how much you love programming and building applications and um it it doesn't matter none of that's red you know like that position just doesn't match your experience so let's start off with that developers receive a lot of spam the more i talk with the developers they they really see recruiters as nothing but spam and i know that's not a hundred percent sure but i i kind of want to get a feel for why recruiters think that's like is that effective towards them uh why do they send out those mass messages that don't apply to the majority so why why, as developers do we get that spam sure so first thing don you you mentioned a really good thing in 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 your intro you know while we were talking or putting the question together that uh recruiters or agency recruiters specifically for our conversation they are and they will be an integral part of this process. Why? You know, so we, we need to understand that first. So what's going on here is if you look at the market, Don, um, yes, you have your Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 50 companies, and they spend quite a lot of time, um, honestly, in building their talent acquisition team. But when it comes to technical talent acquisition, um, there are lots of challenges here in the sense that they cannot find or they may not find uh, that level of talent on the HR side of the spectrum who can actually do technical talent acquisition. Now, you know, sitting on the other side where when you're working on an active project or if the project is coming in, depending on whatever domain, irrespective of whatever domain you're working in within uh, as a developer or as an architect, the project needs to go live, right? That's the business need. And in order to fulfill that business need, when the talent acquisition, when the internal talent acquisition department gets a requisition or gets a message from CIO or CTO saying that, hey, we need six developers. Like, so that's quite an urgent message that hey we need we need them or we need these developers yesterday kind of thing. Mm-hmm. so for the most part what happens when 
these talent acquisition, internal talent acquisition department get those kind of requests in order to get the resume revenue, resume stream going in, right? Or continual flow of candidates. They have no choice except to contact their brothers and sisters on the agency side of the business. So that's how agencies are still a very integral part of the process. Other, other thing which we have to understand that now with the gig economy, right, and with everything going on a freelancing, and not to mention with the ups and downs in the e economic situations, most companies like to hire contractual talent. At the same token, they don't want to take necessarily any liability or they don't even want to take um, a payroll responsibility. That's where these agencies kicks in, where they say, okay, you know, uh, you need five developers, we will provide you five developers, we will put them on our payroll, and not only that, we will make sure that we can take care of all of their other needs. For instance, if it's a long-term contract, uh, most of these agencies do provide you with some sort of French benefits as well. Again, that's where they come in. So. One point is one thing is clear here that for the most part they will going to be the part of this process, uh, whether we like it or not. Now, the spam part. Now, what's happening in the market, Don? If you look at it, um, most of the technical recruitment due to the cost initiative have actually moved out of U.S. So there are, of course, in every domain in every industry there are some good ones and there are some absolutely bad ones now what happens here that when you started receiving those spams most of the time majority of the time those recruiters are not even recruiters they are sourcers sitting somewhere outside of the u.s you know for example many of these companies are situated in india you know, where they are working on a different time zone, they're leveraging LinkedIn and other social media outlets, and not to mention your uh, organic or your traditional job platforms like Dice.com, right? Where they would go and pull in your information. That's where what they do in order to deliver, they would do the spam message. They would type one keyword, say Java or dot. And irrespective of looking at anyone's uh, resume necessarily or cover page, if they have one, they would do this blasting with the thought of getting like more fish in their net. I mean, keep it this way. And based on that, they would go and possibly send you more messages um, with irrelevant uh, messaging there saying that, hey, we love your profile. We need to talk. And again, you are as a developer. I, I mean, I'm I'm very direct and very transparent in saying that when uh, agency recruiters look at you, most of the time they're not really interested in your background. They're not interested necessarily in giving you a career guidance. You are just a number for them. Because what happens if it's a contractual role, and even if it's a full-time role, there's this race that who will submit the most candidates? And in that race, they forget everything else. They literally forget everything else. They look at you as a number, as a submission form. 
that's why you get a lot of those messages irrelevant ones as well in your inbox given that it's your gmail account it's your email account or um, linkedin emails okay that's you know that's really insightful uh so so really it comes down to they have a job to do they have uh, spots to fill they have applications that they need to push out and they probably have a quota so i, I guess my question is mass emailing versus looking through LinkedIn profiles and sending a message to someone that probably has a higher chance of actually being interested in that. Do you feel like just mass emailing is more effective at hitting those quotas? Do do agency recruiters often get more applicants by just blasting that out? That will actually follow through. Again. Again, Don, depending on the situation they might be in, right? Depending on the business model they might be following. For example, th- see, that's that's where you can create a distinction between a, a legit technical tone acquisition or HR professional sitting in the U.S. understanding that full life cycle recruitment in terms of how to build that pipeline, how to establish a connection, how to sell a company, and most most importantly, the company culture, uh, and not just the position to a particular candidate versus just making the submissions. Now, ideally, you know, there are some big names here, some good names here who are still doing a very good job um, you know, on, on this contracting front, uh, you know, by making sure that whenever they are contacting these, um, you know, these developers, they're sending them the right message, the enough amount of, you know, kind of like breaking the ice message to get the conversation going. Again, most of these companies now here, you know, who are doing the right job, they are U.S.-based companies. You know, like um, if I throw some names here, uh, I have personally worked with them, uh, Tech Systems, you know, your Robert Half, uh, Insight Global, Addison Group. These are some legit companies who have done very good work in this space. Uh, they're genuinely interested in helping you out versus just making a submission. I have had seen these situations or came across or heard from um, my, uh, you know, my candidates that, hey, this company called me some some non-familiar name, you know, based out of uh, somewhere other than U.S., submitted me for the role in a very reputed company, say, in Chicago, um, and then just vanish, you know. Um, they did not provide any level of uh, feedback in terms of post, I mean, post-submission feedback, which is very important to know what happened there. You submitted me on last Monday. You didn't give me any feedback until this Monday. What's happening there? Why I'm getting rejected if I'm getting rejected? Again, that's not their forte. They will never going to do that. So first thing first, I would say to my uh, developers, my emerging developers, my experienced developers, first thing um, is irrespective of the demographics, irrespective of the economic situation, you will always be in demand. And when I'm saying this, I'm saying this with full utter confidence that you will always be in demand. When everything is going integrated, developers, it's a developer's world. It's a candidate market where the candidate decide what he or she would like to do, where you know he or she would like to get submitted. 
so don't be afraid when you get these kind of messages these kind of calls even you know sometimes you get calls on your phone don't be afraid to ask them any questions popping up at that point in your mind or later after even finishing the conversation before you get submitted um and i mean honestly if if the recruiter is calling you from agency you need to ask them first their relationship with that company and then where they are sitting in the equation because now what also happening in the market is it's someone else's requisition or opening and someone else is working on it at a tier 1 tier 2 or tier 3 level they might be ma- making you know $5 $6 an hour in this whole game or maybe you know uh, a one time fee of 15 12 to 15 grand so ask them very clearly what is their relationship with the end client where they are sitting in that whole equation and how they are playing their part that that conversation should happen before anything else the moment you get a message or you get a a call saying that hey i'm representing a client within fortune 500 you need to ask all these questions from them before they actually even dive in into your background and if they're not giving you if they're not giving you any answer there or are you if you're not getting um satisfied at this point at that point i would say you can classify them as what i classify them as wrong numbers they are the wrong numbers in the industry <laughs> you know um and you don't want to get engaged with them you don't want to move forward with them that you know that, okay so a couple of questions came up from that i i thought that was mm-hmm. that was fantastic advice um i'm going to i'm going to dive into one before i forget it so you had distinguished a huge difference between recruiters in india and recruiters in the united states what about recruiters mm-hmm. in india uh are are different or more importantly like what what makes them different is there a cultural influence is there uh, just just does the recruiting uh sector work differently in india are expectations different in india so like what what makes india different from the united states in terms of agency recruiters well i would say john it's much more of the nature of their respected job so their job is not to cater you necessarily mm-hmm. their job is not to nurture you necessarily they are looking into making that contact with you number one and submitting your profile to their client whether they are operating at a tier 1 level tier 2 level or tier 3 level as fast as they could so what typically happens that most of these companies have access to a vendor management system what they do they would talk to you um sometimes they would ask you some very private questions as well or sensitive questions as well in terms of hey i need to know the last four digits of your social security number your month and date of your um birth date uh if you will and then they would nice. submit you in that system so i guess the nature of the job matters the most what kind of role they are playing most of the time these are not your seasoned talent acquisition professionals they are sales people i mean where uh, maybe they are um middleman if you will 
you know, or they are playing that part only where they are getting their resume from somewhere, whether it's LinkedIn or any other job board, if you will. They're looking into the keywords. They're not been doing a comprehensive search on your background. You know, that's why you do see uh, in your inbox, you do see a lot of requirements coming in for, say, um, JavaScript developer, if not just core Java developer. And you may say, hey, I'm not a core Java developer. Yes, Java is one language I've worked on, but I'm a .NET guy. For God's sake, why are you sending me this? Again, they don't, they don't have the ability to distinguish that because that's not what their role is. Their role is more of a salesperson. At the end of the day, number of submissions do matter in their life. How many submissions they can do. And in that whole spectrum, in that whole game, if they could reach out to 25 people in a day, they will do that not only that they will submit all 25 of them, which is not, again, a best strategy, but with the thought process that out of this 25, two, three, or four will click. Okay. So it, that's, that's really what's going on. Okay, so, so kind of what you're saying is United States, a lot of companies will outsource some of their recruiting needs and what they usually look for uh probably for cheaper rates is people that have don't have a breadth of experience that are more uh just you know trying to fill the positions uh versus having you know working with a seasoned recruiter that is going to work harder to find a good fit so i get it so it's like it's basically two different job roles as you described um I, I think I understand that part a little bit better. You had actually mentioned uh, a really good question to ask. Like, so I I want to dive right into like what what questions should you ask? Right. So we as a developer, you mentioned it's it's kind of our market. You know what? Before we dive in in this, I actually want to ask you a really important question. Do you feel like it mm -hmm. is a developer's market if they are just starting out and they don't have any experience? Yes, I, I strongly do believe that. The reason being is part of my role, or I have been very much involved in college-level recruitment or entry-level recruitment as well, especially from your reputed schools. Say, in, in Chicago, if you look at uh, Urbana-Champaign, have a very good program. IIT is pretty good. Uh, UIC, you get some great talent from there as well. Uh, so what's, what's happening at the entry level as well? See, with you have to look at the historical perspective on that Don. what's happening is last two three years you're going to see the inclusion of talent on h1b visa kind of on a declining pattern okay and i'm not going to go into the argument of why it's happening uh, is it good or bad but with that declining pattern a lot of workers from tech professionals from India, China, any other countries, uh, they are not coming in, or it is getting difficult for them to even obtain the work permit. What that is doing is putting a lot of burden on the local market, you know, in terms of, hey, we need to hire someone today, and we cannot necessarily wait for this person to come in necessarily from other country, hit the ground running. And that is changing the focus on many companies where they're thinking now uh, kind of like a cost benefit analysis. Okay, I can get someone 
um, entry level from college who might have done a CE or CS major, right? And then groom this person in within our um, ecosystem, within our technology base. So that shift is now making these entry level uh, candidate or set of pool of candidates very, very important. So yes, to answer your question, entry level talent right now is making a lot of strive and getting a lot of visibility in the market as well. Uh, because they're number one, they're here, you know, they can join, they are willing to join, they're willing to learn. They have the, uh, the attitude to take the challenge. You know, I think that's going to be really encouraging for a lot of people to hear because you you do, you know, there is some increased saturation as boot camps start pushing out more graduates. Um, and um, I, I think even with Obama's message about everyone, I believe it was Obama, everyone should become, a, or not become a programmer, but should learn programming as kind of like a, a main right. message from the president. And I, I think I even saw a huge boost of interest in programming and just learning development in general after that message, which was uh, really encouraging to see. But I, I, I think your message is very encouraging because you do see a little bit of saturation. I think people, you know, I, I do think it's normal when you're getting a first position, you're going to get tons of rejection, probably more than a lot of other pr professions. But I think people are really going to appreciate hearing that side of things where, um, you know, companies are a little bit more desperate. We don't have as many people coming into the United States. And I know there's a whole process to get that work permit. So it does mm -hmm. sound like um, at least, you know, for better or worse, people in the United States, it, it still kind of is their, their market. It still does uh, give them a little bit of an advantage to, to get that first position. Does that sound about right? Mm-hmm. Right. And not, and you know what, honestly, um, the school, some of the like the tr traditional schools or universities, they're doing, I guess, a phenomenal job in putting this in the student's head uh, that, hey, you know, you have a work, you whatever you're learning in a school, or even folks who are going through these boot camps for uh, full stack development or JavaScript development, they are getting that message as well that, you know what, do not lowball yourself. For example, if a company is calling you from anywhere and telling you, hey, we offer you an entry-level programmer or development job for $20, $25 an hour, you know what, do not do not take that. Because again, they they really are trying to lowball you. And it's you who need to, it's you as a developer who need to set up your, your significance in the market. You are in demand. I'm not saying that entry-level folks should um, immediately ask for six-figure salary, no. But most of these schools, career centers, they're doing the phenomenal phenomenal job in setting up that, that parameters, those parameters. And what are those parameters? Say, if someone is coming up with a four-year degree and then a master's degree, they should ask something, a tangible salary of a developer and not, um, not a BA, you know, or not a, a QA as per se. You're going in as a developer. You have a responsible job to do. You have an important, integral part in this whole process. So do not lowball yourself, please. You know, I would humbly request. Uh, so again, sometimes it happens, Don. You know, when you're in the market and you're not seeing that traction, you cannot crack that nut. 
you get desperate, you get frustrated. Yes. You're like, you know what? Okay, I'll take the first job, whatever I will get. I'll say, don't do that because again, you it, it's you who set up your your work, you know, and you have a lot of work. You are going in for something very important. Look at the job description, um, and then based on that, um, set up your value. Um, if someone is offering you a entry-level development job for $40,000, $50,000 with the promise that, oh, you're going to learn a lot, I would humbly say, do not get desperate. Do not take that job, you know, because your worth is somewhere beyond that. And, and just to give a little bit of respect uh, or uh, give some context to that, you're, when you're talking about these specific numbers, like forty, fifty thousand, you wouldn't accept uh, is that in Chicago or is that in a small town as well? Well, you know what, irrespective of it's a, it, again, it's it's not a game of, Don, it's not a game of um, who you are. It's the market for your skill. Again, it is the market for your skill. The more programming languages you know or you have done or you have been exposed to, even in the school setting, in your internships, in your respected school uh, projects, the more important you are. For example, if someone is equipped with full stack development language, along with that, some scripting languages, which has been being used a lot nowadays, like Python, um, you know, as per se, um, or someone have exposure to DevOps side of the things, like if someone have worked with Docker, you know, Kubernetes, you are very marketable. So it, it's, it's, it depends on the skill set you are bringing to the table. It's not about, oh, I know I'm a full stack developer. Okay, I know this language or that language. It's the collection of stuff you're bringing to the table. Um, again, these schools, majority of them, including the boot camps, they're doing a phenomenal job in teaching you multiple domains, multiple languages. So, you know, get used to get used to it and, you know, make sure that you are asking for your work. Again, you're not going in, um, nothing against anyone, you're not going in as a helper, as an assistant, you're going in as a developer. I, you know, I, I think you do a really good job of instilling the mindset that even, like you said, a lot of boot camps do, a lot of even uh, colleges do. Uh, I think I think the mindset is really what people are going to find encouraging from your message. And uh, as far mm -hmm. as specific numbers to go for, I mean, there there are tools like Glassdoor that give a little bit of visibility into, you know, what others are making in your area. And, you know, I even think like a conversation with the recruiter is really where you can also get some insight that is a little bit more targeted. You can ask recruiters very specific questions. If they're a good recruiter, like it's someone that you're going to be working with to finally get that position. Uh, so, you know, I, I think as far as like what specific number you should accept, uh, maybe that's a good question to, to ask, like how much am I worth? How much should I be going for? Do you feel like that's a, a question you would encourage newer developers to ask? Absolutely. Not only that, you know, if this recruiter is genuinely interested, Don, in finding a, a not a job, a career for you. And again, I do this a lot on my side of the spectrum where if I'm working with a client who's say just offering $70,000, you know, I, I mean, I'm just giving you one example um, for a entry level software engineering job, I would 
I would be very, very transparent. And I'm always very transparent in my communication with my candidates that, hey, yes, this sounds low here in, say, downtown Chicago, but this is what you're going to get out of this. You know, I have had people, I've hired people in my career at 70K with the promise that after two years, if you're working in this shop, you know, you will learn, you will pick up enough skills to make you eligible for a Fortune 1 company or a reputed company like Walmart or Amazon, you know, and then you can go there not only with more skills, but a better title with a better salary. So sometimes, yes, it is a trade-off, but again, not many recruiters are in the business of doing it. They would almost call you and put it in front of you. Hey, this is what I'm offering. This is what the company is offering. Take it or leave it. You want to get some of it or not. You know, again, it boils down to that recruiter or identifying the recruiter in terms of who is interested in working with you. And again, on your, I'm not selling anything, but through this platform, I am requesting any emerging uh, developer or any tech professional who is listening to this. I mean, feel free to contact me if you are in a limbo where you can't decide what to do. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn. Again, I do not charge anyone anything for these kind of advices. Uh, this is this has been my passion to work with, especially um, folks who are uh, embracing STEM education. I work with them very closely. I make sure I find them the right career path and not a job. If uh, I'm, I'm saying this on this platform, if you are stuck in some sort of limbo where you can't identify if the opposite recruiter have an interest in you or not, ping me on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I will work with you. I will tell you what to do. I will. There's nothing to be afraid of here. You know, uh, you are asking for your skills. You are asking, I mean, the recruiter, if he's or she is genuine, they should tell you what is in it for you. I mean, for me, my candidates are my assets. Um, I remember placing someone in 2005. I saw him last year. Um, you know, I, I placed him as a software engineer one. I saw him last year in 2019 in a restaurant, very informal setting. Guess what? He recognized me and I was with my family. He was with his family. Um, he recognized me and today he's the director of the company. I mean, you, you've got to build that level of relationship. You've got to build that real, that, that level of relationship. Like we technology recruiters or talent acquisition professionals, we have to respect people like that. I mean, that's, that's what I, I practice. That's what I preach. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's quite the message. Well, first of all, uh, just I really appreciate the kind offer to kind of help people with their direction. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm actually gonna. Are you okay with me making a LinkedIn post to kind of just talk a little bit about that? And I'll, I'll link you. Absolutely. You know, again, whatever, and I'm saying it with all of my open heart. I have done this quite a lot in my career. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very proud to say that I have a 10-year-old son who is in development. He's already doing <laughs> JavaScripting right now, you know, so, I mean, that's, so cool. that's that's something that and he hears me talk with my candidates when uh, the days when I'm working from my home office. He listens to me. He listens to, I mean, 
I, I have one growing up at home. You know, I, I'm mm-hmm. that genuine in giving someone an advice. I, I don't do this for for monetary reasons. If someone is someone I hired like 10 years ago is going up the ladder, it gives me a very, you know, very, very big satisfaction in my heart, in my mind. And that's why I say that I, I mean, you have to distinguish recruiters versus sourcers versus who is working in your interest versus who is not working in your interest. And it's, it's pretty easy to get, um, you know, irrespective of your career level, when you're on the phone with someone, you can hear their tone, how they're talking to you. Are they just mm-hmm. interested in taking your resume and moving it from point A to point B? Or are they really genuinely interested in learning more about you? At the same token, helping you getting your next role, which could be a, a beginning step or a stone, uh, a stepping stone in your career. So, the, you know what, that that's a really, that's a really good question to ask. I, and sometimes I, I think people want to know the right questions to ask, but sometimes it is just the tone, the mm-hmm. feeling that you get. Um, do you, do you feel like you can trust them? Do they have their best or your best interests at heart? I, I think that's a really good message. Uh, let's, let's dive more mm-hmm. into that. So we kind of talked about some of the frustrations mm-hmm. and where that is sourced from, where that comes from with recruiters. But let's talk about mm-hmm. like, how do we figure out that we're working with a recruiter that has our best interests in mind? How do we figure out that we're working with a recruiter that has, you know, a depth of experience and that's, you know, that's going to show in the process of getting you that position. How do we find a good recruiter? Let's, let's kind of dive into that. Great question, Don. So uh, as, as I said, there are always good people and not so good people in the market, right? Um, One thing you absolutely would like to do, and I, I guess there is, a little bit investment needed there in terms of your time you need to invest a little bit more time with them on the phone you know again uh, anyone could send you a very smart very catchy uh, message in writing oh you know this is it for you you are that one candidate for this client of mine um you'll do great uh, their culture is awesome what you need to do is to set up some time with them 15 to 20 minutes on the phone again i know i'm asking a full-blown maybe a developer or someone who might be in school taking out the time but that is essential because when you get with someone on the phone and you start asking these questions from them in terms of hey okay you you have this dot net rule available for me what is your relationship look like with the client you know how many people you have place here how many years of relationship you have with this client? You know, what I will do here. I mean, ask those questions in that first call before diving into your background. It is very essential that, okay, you know, what's my career path look like? You're offering me this entry-level job. What is the career progression look like? What what do What is the hierarchy of um, levels here in this company? Um, and I will explain that more in terms of, you know, some companies have only three levels there, you know, software engineer, senior software engineer, and architect. That would show you as a developer, you know, where to, where you can go in terms of progression in that company. If you tend to stay there for two, three, five, seven years, what's your progression look like? 
ask a question about the culture of the company. That could that could happen in the second call as well. But the first call, please do make sure you establish that relationship with that between that recruiter, that agency recruiter, and the company they are representing. Again, most of the time, what happened is um, these agency recruiters do talk to you with no tangible job. You know, meaning they would like to build their own respected pipeline. Um, and once the position pops in, then they could reverse sell you, or they could wow. take your resume and say, "Hey, I have spoken with this phenomenal candidate. His name is Don, and he could be a very good fit for." any open role in your organization that's what uh, that's a reverse sell they do that a lot as well so what you have to understand that the requirement or the position they're selling you is legit is tangible you cannot find out without talking to them on the phone and understanding their relationship with that company okay so that's that's what you mean by understanding their relationship with the company i you know i i kind of suspected that a lot of recruiters who are building up a pipeline, um, sometimes it doesn't like there just aren't details about a specific position. Uh, so that I guess that is something to be wary about. Uh, you know, I, I actually had an interesting experience where I, I talked with an agency recruiter, and this was going into my third position as a developer. And I, I talked mm-hmm. with this recruiter and he it like it sounded like a really good fit i was transitioning from a front-end role into a full stack role and um, it, it was a good conversation overall until we talked about uh salary so so i really want to dive into this because this is um this is a topic that i i talk about a lot with a, a lot of uh, emerging developers but what what information Okay, so well, here let's start out with my experience. I refused to give my salary because the recruiter mentioned that I should expect about a ten percent bump in my pay, and so mm-hmm. I I knew I could get more than that. I knew I was underpaid. I knew I could get more than that. So I was very hesitant on telling my salary. He wanted to focus on the specific amount I made, and so what I ended up doing was like that was my last. Uh, time I've ever interacted with an agency recruiter, and I got a, um, I went off on my own, and I got a 36% bump in my pay. And so, mm-hmm. what was frustrating for me was that the recruiter focused so much on what my salary was, and that he didn't really have my best interest at heart in getting. He wanted to get me a good fit, but I, I also am a little bit. Um, I take a lot of chances, and I wanted a much bigger bump in my salary. So. Does a recruiter care more about getting that position, like even a good recruiter, do they care more about getting that position filled uh, versus trying to get you to where you're earning the amount that you really feel like you should be earning? Um, so like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get an idea of like recruiters intentions overall mm-hmm. when it comes to salary. So typically the agency recruiter, actually it goes, for the most part, it goes in their favor to get you the higher salary because um, based on that, they get a bigger commission check. But what is important here, Don, is majority of the states here in United States now, including Illinois, including California, including New York, they have mandated the recruiters 
or HR departments not to ask anyone's current salary. So someone is still doing that, they're against the law. So make mm-hmm. sure you understand that it's a law now. As a recruiter, I cannot ask you, hey, Don, what are you currently making? I cannot ask the specific numbers or uh, the bonus structure or anything because it has been mandated uh, by the law in most states. You know, not every state is abiding or not every state have to do that. But what is important here is you give them, you ask them the range or you give them the range irrespective of what you are currently making and again as you said there there could be many factors why you would be making 65,000 right now you know where your market would be for 85k it might be a smaller company it might be closer to your home it might be the company offered you more equity versus base salary there are a lot of components there right which a recruiter would not be familiar with or he or she doesn't need to know what is important is what is your worth in today's market you know so do not in any situation do not tell them what exactly you are making instead ask them what is and they should ask you this question as well what is your salary expectation if they are asking you what are you currently making again they're a wrong number you know do not do not give them the numbers or do not um spit out your salaries to your whole package if you will for them yes they may they may negotiate you on fringe benefits they may say oh my client is only offering uh 10 days of vacation that's fine you know you can say hey you know i i have 15 days right now i need 15 days the fringe benefits is a different story but when it comes to the base plus bonus structure do not tell them what you're currently making i love it okay so uh, I don't know if he asked that question before or after that uh, that law did come into place, so that's, that's really interesting to know. So don't disclose your salary. Give a range. Um, or if you are completely oblivious, ask the range that the recruiter is recommending. Yes, and they should. They should. If they are a good recruiter, they should give you that. I mean, there is... In fact, that's why I'm telling you to get on the phone with them because in that first 15, 20 minutes, you can really iron out those things. Irrespective of, you know, you would like to get submitted. Submission is, in my opinion, is the second or third step. You would like to know first, okay, the company, the stability of the company, the culture of the company, what they are offering, you know, what kind of roles they have, what kind of hierarchy they have available within their IT department. Is it, am I going in as a developer and doing a job of BAQA and the whole nine yards or what's my role there? Again, most of the job descriptions done nowadays, a hiring manager look for 65,270 skills in one candidate. They are getting greedy, but not everyone can do everything, you know? So you have to understand really well in terms of what they are looking for. If they're looking for that 67,000 skills in one person, that might not be the right role for you. And that that conversation could end right there with, with much respective comments saying that, nope, that's not what I'm looking for, you know, in my career. You know that's a really good point. So a lot of a lot of jobs uh, or a lot of job postings do list you know three or four languages. Sometimes that don't even work well together. It's uh, like, and the advice that we generally push for is 
even if you don't fill all the requirements, you still apply. Like the expectation isn't that you're going to be a perfect fit. No one is ever a perfect fit. And so the push is to apply. Right. But my, my question for you is, uh, what do you think about learning several languages to make yourself marketable versus learning a single language and going into more depth and knowing it better to make yourself more marketable? Which would you usually advise well, for aspiring developers? You know, Don, I mean, the advice really there is make yourself marketable um, in terms of your comfort zone. And okay. why I'm saying this, because nowadays what's happening in the market is within the Scrum Agile setting, uh, if you have been assigned stories, you know, you may have to work as a, a you know, there's a new not that new, but there's a term in the market known as SDATs, you know, software development engineering tests. When you are an SDAT, you are, guess what? You're writing a code, you're testing, you're doing the testing, all level of testing possibly on your own code, and then you are sending that code to deploy. You know, it's it's because of, you know, basically within that scrum setting, you are speeding up the process for the whole deployment to get shrink maybe in a day or two days versus two weeks, right? But then really you need to ask yourself in terms of what you are most comfortable in. Again, that's why this whole paradigm got started in the market the first place. Oh, this he's a developer. He can do DevOps work as well. Not necessarily. Not every developer is actually interested in doing a DevOps work. They would like to confine themselves within that full, li full life cycle. Yes, full life cycle um, development, SDLC or whatever methodology or, uh, or that company is implementing or adopting, but they want their respective role in that whole process. So it's okay to learn multiple languages. It's 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 okay if you are familiar with two strong ones, three strong ones, which could be again, it's it's up to your comfort zone to decide. I would not push someone to Java development if someone is more inclined with .NET platform. Why? Because Microsoft does or Microsoft do a very good job in providing you a lot of help, a lot of assistance as a developer on those .NET, even like they came up with .NET Core 2.0, which is still a, which is open source, but still a Microsoft platform versus Java, something very open-ended, open source. So really it depends as a, as a software engineer, as a, as that, it depends on your comfort zone. If you have the ability, if you would like to pick up more than four languages, go for it. But if you are doing it just because the market is demanding you to do that, Please don't do that because what's going to happen is over the course of your career path or your job, you will get burned down. You're going to get burned out. And you'll be like, what the heck? Did I come into technology for this? You know, so th there has to be a balance there. As we have balance in our personal life, we have to have a balance in our professional life and in our career growth, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I love that message. It really is pushing forward with, I mean, quite frankly, like what makes you enjoy coding in the first place? If you don't prefer DevOps, uh, you know, don't just learn DevOps so you're more marketable. Learn what you love to do and be better at it, become better at it, and then market yourself as it. I, I think that, uh, like the most important piece of that is you do that so you don't burn out. You do that so you still enjoy what you're doing. Um, and I, I really think that's fantastic advice. 
You, see, you talk right. about, like, we even dove into how do you distinguish a bad recruiter from a good recruiter. I think you gave really good advice about mm-hmm. that. But how do you, fu- like, so especially for aspiring developers where they're not getting as many messages from recruiters, um, as an aspiring developer, how do you find a great recruiter how do you find a quality recruiter when they're not messaging you can you are like you know are you in that stage of the process yeah so you know i i think nowadays in the past two years or so um as microsoft has uh, acquired linkedin linkedin has became that that miraculous platform where you can do a whole lot of genuine networking you know, um, and then you can find the right people. I, I guess, Don, it's all about finding the right players in the game, you know, in any step of your life, you know. So mm-hmm. what I would recommend or advise to our emerging developers, leverage LinkedIn to the fullest. And when I say that, I would say any company, any organization you would like to work or any industry, say, if you would like to be a part of insurance domain, great you know try to find the key players in that domain because that that networking will going to help you in finding the right people um in your life in your career yes you know it may not happen overnight it will not gonna happen overnight but i would say try to do networking especially with in-house talent acquisition professionals for example you know if i would like to be a part of Amazon, you know, very phenomenal company, right? You know, I would, instead of going to a third party, you know, I would go and find people in Amazon. Again, not very hard to do. You can go on LinkedIn, you can start building that relationship and those relationships will eventually help you. Trust me, you know, most of the time in most of the organizations, the hiring managers, you know, um, they are very busy. You know, they might not have enough time to go on LinkedIn and build their relationship um, so that they can, you know, build their teams. That job is is given to conveniently given to a internal talent acquisition or outreach professionals. So try to build those relationships first. And then again, in that process, uh, I have seen some hiring managers who are very engaged in the talent acquisition process they would like to build that leads you know they collaborate with uh talent acquisition when it comes to building relationships uh with these um schools who are offering cse degrees um they're very much involved there i have seen ctos and cios getting involved there and it it really helped both sides uh, you know if you will getting the right talent and on the talent side on the candidate side getting into the right company where the culture is where where people are valuing your skills where where you're not a number where you are somebody an active participant in the game so try to build those relationships again i'm not saying do not build relationships with agency recruiters but most of the time when you have that direct relationship with the HR department, someone in that company, whether it could be a college recruiter, technical recruiter, or someone down the line, that always pay you off. So leverage, you know, again, I have, LinkedIn has been a blessing for me. You know, there's the reason 
why Microsoft paid so many, so much millions of dollars for this miraculous platform. This platform is awesome. It's a one-stop shop for building relationship, doing networking, finding jobs, the whole nine yards. Try to leverage that. And then for also for uh, recruiters, I, oh, I'm sorry, for developers, I would request them to be visible on sites like Stack Overflow. Because what's happening now before Stack Overflow was just a development community. Now you would see they have now the recruiter part as well, or uh, the, the company is offering recruitment seats as well. So you would see recruiters, um, even hiring managers getting in there and seeing your work. Get active on Stack Overflow or platforms like Stack Overflow. You know, that's really interesting because I've always seen Stack Overflow as another way to expose what you can do, right? To reduce the risk, they can get a feel for like where you are technically. Um, I, I always saw it as something that you would link externally. I had no idea recruiters were actually seeking people out on Stack Overflow. That's that's amazing. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, and if I tell you how much Stack Overflow is charging the other side to get the, to gain that access, you will probably be very surprised. It's it's very expensive, but it, it pays the cost. What most companies are doing instead of giving or allocating that money to uh, or that budget to third party recruiters, they are investing in these smart platforms. And they're giving their internal recruiters really the tools to find these, again, what I call yellow and magenta squirrels, you know, um, whether at the experience level, at the entry level. Um, I have seen just last year alone, I've seen three companies taking that money off from that third party agency recruitment bucket into technology like uh, Stack Overflow, like LinkedIn. Again, LinkedIn recruiter license is expensive as well, but it pays, um, it, it is very justified to have that uh, because you, you, you not only get the benefit of directly interacting with the town with no middle person, you can get the cream of the crop that way as well. I, I think a lot of people are really gonna find that helpful. I mean, that I learned, I definitely learned a lot of new things today, but I never expected that. Uh, well, so, so agency recruiters exist. Uh, and I agree. They do. They do. <laughs> and I agree that, you know, before I reach out to an agency recruiter, I'm most definitely going to try to build a relationship with an internal recruiter. And it, it's probably going to be for the company that I'm interested in. But, you know, kind of my final question with agency recruiters is, how who should go with an agency like go through an agency recruiter and who should do it on their own and even if that means like reaching out and messaging people specifically on linkedin and and building you know just building that relationship on their own so who goes with an agency recruiter and who should go on their own so absolutely you know what the answer to this is very simple, John. I mean, irrespective of your your level, 
um, within within that hierarchy, if you're entry level or your middle level or experience. Um, and one thing we establish, uh, you know, initially that they do exist, they do play some part, you know, so mm -hmm. I would not say I would not put a limit necessarily on someone that, hey, if you are an emerging talent, do not connect with them. I, I guess, you know, it's it, 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 I didn't say this, but I'm saying this now that it's it's almost that trial and error process, right? You connect with someone at the agency level. You see the level of um, attention, the level of respect, the level of mutual relationship you are getting from them. If you are getting what you are trying to get, just for you know, keep them you know within your network. If you do not see that, and again, it's it's not that difficult to gauge that level of relationship in your first second call with them or your emails with them. That how much interested they are in you you know i mean so at every level you need to keep up um you you need to build your relationship with them but with the good ones and uh, we already talked about how to identify the good ones mostly the u.s based companies here they have that level of relationship at the client end to get you in you know i mean again tech system have done phenomenal job or the, they have this army of business development people who are always at the client side making sure they're the, the candidates they are representing get the attention for what they deserve you know um you have robert half you know they are doing an excellent job there as well um but with respect to the career level i guess everyone can get engaged with them yes well one one element here that for the most part if the companies are trying to fill an entry-level job, they may not involve the agency recruitment there. And that's where your relationship as an entry-level candidate with direct stakeholders uh, hold a lot of value. The reason being is no company would like to pay 20, 20 25 grand for an, to fill an entry-level role, you know, within their ecosystem. Okay. That makes sense. So, so even also, if you also don't, yeah, go ahead. Also, one one more thing which I didn't mention here is like with all of this game, you know, with all of this, this is not a one-time thing, Don. That you go on any platform like LinkedIn or Stack Overflow, put your name in and get out. It's it's this whole evolving process. I would say, you know, making that relationships and. The, uh, you know, depending on that the referral system holds a lot of value in today's market. What I mean by that is if I'm connected with any software engineer or any tech professional on my LinkedIn, I have done, I have been to a point where someone else posted a job and I thought of that as a candidate. I, I told them, hey, this recruiter in this setting, in this domain, is looking for a job uh, or looking for a candidate, go talk to them. So that referral base, whatever you build, that always pays off. And it's an ongoing practice. It's not just a one-time thing that you, you went in into any social media outlet and connected with 100 people. No, you have to do this on a constant basis. You never know, and even in this time of crisis where companies are laying off there are companies who are hiring people you never know who could become that valuable chain in that command to get you your next role so i would say constantly 
become make that habit of connecting with people that those connections are always valuable always pay off i like that make, make that habit of connecting with people and it, you know it, it's not make just and that's a really strong thing to say because people focus on well i got to build connections to to get positions but it's really about building a strong habit that's not only going to help you build your network and as you said it'll kind of have effects you know even down the road when you wouldn't even expect them but it's honestly a a good habit to build for anything in life just building connections in general and just you know it's i think a lot of people are nervous in interviews and they're nervous even connecting over the phone with a recruiter when they've never done it it's like build that habit build that strong habit and really just get better with your communication skills and gets you exposure to the tech right. industry and um I, I i think i think building your network and connecting with people throughout your entire life is such a good habit so I, that's why i like wanted to highlight that i really like that you said build a good habit for that i, I just thought that was interesting. right you know i think um i i think you you've done a really good job at uh, first of all distinguishing you know how to find a good recruiter but also you know how that conversation should even play out. Uh, and, and really, I love that you emphasized developers have questions that they should ask. It's, it really, I do feel like it's a mutual fit, but I think a lot of developers feel like it's one-sided, like they have to sell themselves instead of asking questions to see if, is the recruiter a good fit, right? Um, and I think that's a very right. common misconception with newer developers because they're they're nervous, they don't have confidence, imposter syndrome is strong, and you know it, it's a, it's really kind of a tough time. But it is a developer's mm-hmm. market, and I, I think you've really emphasized right. that, and that's that's encouraging to hear. So, I mean, you know, we could probably end off on this. Um, you you've given a tremendous amount of information about even what developers can do. Is there any last piece of advice on what a developer can do to make themselves more marketable? What, what can, especially an emerging developer, an aspiring developer coming into the industry, you know, really what should they be focused on in trying to get that first position? What are, what's really going to catch people's eye? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I have always advised this um, to my developers, to my tech professionals. Look at something within your respected domain. Look at something which could be which could become catchy. And how can you look um, look that up? For example, if someone is a JavaScript developer, correct? There is always a new flavor of JavaScript coming in. You know, like a year ago, no one knew about React.js. Now everyone is using React. So try to get associated with with groups, you know, uh, on social media outlets, or try to read a lot in terms of what could become a new or uh, emerging phenomenon within your respected domain. Again, I'm not saying you go out of the domain. I'm going to give you a quick example here. There are a lot of people in my network who were uh, relational database guys, relational database engineers, and then some years ago they started seeing open source paradigm popping up so then they started as the while keeping their day jobs they started investing in learning the open source databases like mongodb you know like um big data hadoop uh like building clusters 
and they while they they did that they not only added the knowledge set within their spectrum learning spectrum they actually made themselves very marketable you know i remember many years ago when people didn't know as gooey as a emerging scripting language some of my um friends some of my some of the people i mentored i told them start looking at gooey and they started looking at it not only that they became so marketable that they actually got a job within that respected areas you know so try to look try to within your respected domain within your frame try to look for emerging things like a lot of database people or data analytics people mm-hmm. um they were not looking into ai aspect or machine learning aspect of things uh, they started looking at it when it didn't become a big phenomena and now they are very marketable so within your respected domain look at that that new emerging flavor language or a technology a piece of technology even a smaller one that could become a phenomena in the next 2 3 years i i like that even if it's you know there there is this thing where you need to be careful of you know spending all of your time looking into something new that right. simply yeah, drop off yeah but also you know a lot of especially a lot of experienced developers i think i think good ones don't do this but a lot of experienced developers will will kind of just stick with what they know um and I, even just a little exposure even just building a single personal project to learn a new framework to learn uh, a new emerging technology um i, I I hear that you know you're saying it's going to make you more marketable. Uh I also I still think, you know, at a certain stage like you you need to branch out. You need to get a breadth of experience because different languages, different frameworks are going to introduce a different type of solution, a different implementation that you might you know other frameworks didn't really give you that perspective. And it it really right. is just another tool to your tool set and it's a bonus that it does make you more marketable. So Uh I I like that idea of like look look at like connect with groups like and this is a you know a better time than ever to to really explore online but connect with with groups that you think are really interesting and and hopefully those groups could be a little bit ambitious in you know emerging technologies and talking about them and and uh you know having a few people in that community that really do dive into that because I I think if you surround yourself with people and go into those types of communities I think you're just going to be interested in learning new things in general and it'll just become natural to keep yourself marketable because you're always yeah. trying something new. Uh but I I like that right. suggestion. And and, and you know and you know Don it might it might be like within the spectrum of your own genre, your own mm-hmm. world, you know, you may not have to go out of that, you know? I mean, yeah. uh there are things within your own respected world which could become valuable in the next Three years, two years, five years span. You know, keep an yeah. eye on that. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Well, Hamad, that kind of about wraps up the interview. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, what I am going to do, I'm going to stick with my promise. Uh, I really appreciate the offer uh, to just answer people's questions, but I'm going to make a LinkedIn post. And uh, do you mind if I actually put your LinkedIn in the uh, the notes of the podcast episode? absolutely not a problem and again this this has been my 
I mean, my give back to the community in any way possible. Again, I've been doing this for 15 years. I would like to educate people, especially our new Gen Z, um, in terms of how to get in, how to get situated, how to get the anything they want. You know, I, I'm really open and volunteer to help. You know, to them. You know, in in terms of getting themselves visible to presenting themselves, anything they want, you know, leverage my experience. I mean, I really want to share and really want to help. I really appreciate that. I think a lot of people are going to appreciate that. So, so thank you again so much for that offer. And, and thanks for hopping onto the podcast. Uh, you obviously have a, a depth of experience that's, that's going to show and that has showed in all of your answers. So I just want to say thanks again for hopping on is a pleasure talking with you. Um, but yeah, I, I hope you have a good time. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know, it has been a pleasure on your, you know, being on your podcast. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, it was definitely a pleasure. I'm glad we did this. But uh, yeah, stick stick around for about five minutes afterwards. But we'll go ahead and wrap up, uh, sure. guys. If uh, if you do have questions and uh, you you really kind of just want to even just build a relationship with someone with an incredible amount of recruiting experience, uh, reach out to Hamad. I'm going to post his LinkedIn in the, the episode notes, and I'll actually make a LinkedIn post as well. But uh, thanks so much for joining us, and I hope you have a good rest of your day, Hamad. Thank you. You do, Tom. Bye. 